Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, we have a few readings. The first is from Luke 2, verses 41 to 52. Then Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, through to chapter 4, verse 11. And then Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and the preacher is Keith Bell from St. John's Presbyterian Church in Bendigo. And so let's read Luke 2, 41 to 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. Now let's read Matthew three sixteen through to chapter four eleven. And when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went up from the river. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Son of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And now let's read from Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for it being read to us today. We ask now, Lord, that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your message to us from it. Amen. I hate wearing these things. Sometimes you have to, don't you? And that's why I cheat and use a fairly big font so I can just about get by these days without having to wear glasses. Tell me, how did your team go on the weekend? Are you a Richmond supporter? Some. One point. Bit lousy, isn't it? Okay. Were you cheering? Right up until that last goal was kicked and your team went down. It's frustrating, isn't it, when your team goes down? But there's nothing better, is there, than sitting on the sideline, watching your team, your representatives, overcome the opposition. Lousy when they don't, but it's great when they do. I know I always enjoy watching my representatives on the field of contest as they do battle to overcome the opposing side. You know, it was terrible a few years ago, wasn't it? Remember back when they used to have four cricket teams playing over the Christmas period? There was Australia, maybe the West Indies, and maybe India, and Australia A. I went to one of the most frustrating cricket matches ever when it was Australia playing Australia A. Why was that frustrating? There was no enemy. There was no enemy. There was nobody you could boo. Right? We need our representatives out there gunning for us. Fighting our battles, if you like. Doing what we dearly love to do. Okay. What about our second Bible reading? Did you enjoy reading about our representative on the field of contest, alone and in the wilderness, as he battled and overcame our adversary? This battle was not inconsequential, like a game of cricket or football because it had eternal consequences and ultimately it sealed our fate as a people of God. Last week we began a series that I hope to continue with you whenever Jesse invites me to come and lead the service here. This series, you might guess, is about Jesus. Last week we considered God the Father's assessment of him. And today we look at another aspect of our wonderful Saviour and friend as we consider an aspect of his humanity. That is, his being our representative in the battle against Satan. 
And what I'm proposing to you today is this. We're going to discover two things in particular. We're going to discover how Jesus overcame uh, Satan. And secondly, what we must do following Jesus' example to live gloriously as the people of God. Remember, as I said to the children, Jesus is our pattern. Now we sang in that last hymn, he is our childhood pattern. Sure, he is, but he's also our adulthood pattern as well in how to live as the people of God. So what I want us to do is to consider that cosmic battle that we read about. Okay, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. What does this word tempt or temptation mean? Well, according to uh, one Bible commentator, the Greek word that's used here, and if I can pronounce Greek, it's perasmos, it has a double meaning. It means both a trial or a test and a temptation. Okay? So we know from that, or we can know from that, a trial or a test comes from God who wants to purify his children. Now temptation comes from the devil to seduce people into sin. Okay? The one word, we use the word tempt, temptation, and it has this double meaning of a test or a trial and a being conned into doing something that we shouldn't. Okay, so then a temptation from the devil, maybe, can be, maybe is, also a test from God. The same thing, the same situation, the same circumstance. From one point of view, it's a temptation to us to go away from what God wants us to do. But on the other hand, it's also a test from God. What do we have tests for? When I was at school, we used to have one every Friday morning. We'd have ten spelling, we'd have to do some maths, we'd have something else or other. And the teacher who used to give us this test would then rearrange the classroom. And uh, the house that came top in the test, that'd sit up in the back row. And then so on. So if you're down the front, you knew you weren't doing too well. So what's a test used for? What do we use a test for? Every one of us here, hands up if you've got a driver's license. Right? How did you get it? Did you write out your name on the back of a cornflakes packet? Sometimes when I see people driving, I wonder. You had to do a test to see if we were competent. See if we could do what was expected of us. That's why we have a test. So from God's point of view, a test for us is to see how we're going. Think about it. But from Satan's point of view, that same situation is he wants to get uh, or, or to lead us away from God's purposes. 
Okay, so that's a temptation or a test. In this situation, we see Satan's modus operandi. What was his purpose? What is his purpose when he tempts us to do anything? Why does he do it? What's the first thing? Why does he do it? Why does he try to get us away from God? Isn't it because he hates God? He hates God and all he stands for? He hates the pinnacle of God's creation, which is us, mankind. Satan strives with every fibre of his being to bring mankind down. In effect, to destroy us, to remove us from God's favour. When did he think he had succeeded? When he conned Adam and Eve. Right? He conned them and they failed the test. They believed the lie. They did that which God had forbidden. Satan thought he had succeeded when he conned them into rebellion against God. And ever since then, he has continued his attacks against God's people, enticing them into further sin and rebellion. He also wanted to destroy the second Adam, who is Jesus, right? So that if he could get Jesus to uh, to commit even one sin, what would Jesus be disqualified from being? Hey, he couldn't be our saviour because he would be disqualified from offering his life as that one true pure immortal sacrifice which was able to pay the penalty for our sins and our rebellion and to satisfy God's wrath for our sin. So that's what Satan was trying to do. And now how does he do it? Well, first of all, he attacks, doesn't he? We see this in, in, in this situation. He attacks when we are alone. Jesus was out in the wilderness by himself. He attacks when we're vulnerable. He waited for 40 days, six weeks, and Jesus had been out there no food. He was hungry, we're told. He was vulnerable, likely to listen to some suggestions to do something he ought not to do. He also attacks when we're strong, or when we think we are anyway. Remember what Paul says? So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Sometimes Satan uses our friends to entice us. We didn't read this story. Perhaps we should have, but we didn't. Remember when Jesus had got his disciples and he said to them, Hey, fellas, who do people reckon I am? And what do they say? Some say, you're Moses or Elijah or what, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but you fellas, who do you reckon I am? What did Peter say? You are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Blessed are you, Peter. 
because you haven't worked this out for yourself, you haven't been taught it, God himself has revealed it to you. Then in the very next verse we're told, from that time on, Jesus began to teach his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he was going to be handed over to the leaders, that he was going to be mocked and whipped and killed, and on the third day rise again from the dead. And what did Peter do? Come here, Jesus. Come, 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 come. come. Took him away from the other. Said, this isn't going to happen. Can't happen to you. You're the son of God. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. So Satan sometimes uses friends to entice us. He misquotes scripture. We're told in Genesis, now the serpent, and how do we know that was Satan? That serpent in the Garden of Eden, how do we know that was Satan? Where do you find the answer? It's the answers in the scriptures. In the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, and I'm just scratching my memory to try to remember which verse it is. Chapter 12, verse 7, 9, whatever. I can't remember. It's what? Three. Well, while you're finding it, I'll tell you the rest of the story. It says there that it was that serpent of old, the devil who led people astray. Okay? So that's how we know the serpent in the garden was in fact Satan. And he misquotes scripture. He misquotes God's word. And we're told, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He uses trickery. He tries to get us to think something differently from what God said. Did you find it? Nine. Chapter 12, verse 9. Thank you. Not only does he misquote scripture, he uses scripture out of context. Okay? Remember when he took Jesus up onto uh, the pinnacle of the temple? He said, ah! Now, just think about this word if in these uh, three temptations that we read about in Matthew's Gospel. It really means since, right? And how do you think Satan would have said it? How do you think he would have been speaking, just in a normal voice? I think he would have had a sneer in his voice, wouldn't he? Oh, since you are the Son of God, make these rocks into bread. Or oh, since you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down because, you know, you can quote scripture, I can too, he said, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you don't strike your foot against a stone. What's he doing here? Taking it out of context. Quoting scripture. 
in a place where it really has no application. What else does Satan do? Not only does he misquote scripture, take words out of context, he also tells lies. What did he say to Eve? She said, we're not allowed to eat this fruit because when we do, we'll die. And he says, oh, go on. I tell you, you won't die. Did Adam and Eve die that day they ate that fruit they were told not to do? And the outcome on the answer is, yes, they did. Their relationship with God was broken. But what hadn't happened when they died? Sorry? They died spiritually. Eventually they also died physically. The seeds of that death were there then. It's like, ever used Roundup? You know what Roundup is? Right? It's a weed killer. The first time I ever saw Roundup, the first time I ever heard of it, was the day I took up, or very soon after I took up my exit appointment from college in my first parish. The session clerk there, great guy, was a farmer. And I'd gone to his place and he was talking about Roundup. And he said, you ever heard of Roundup? I said, no. He said, oh, I'll show you what it's like. So he took me out and he had this little bottle of Roundup because he had retired. It wasn't a big bottle. And uh, what he did was got uh, opened it up, got a rag, dipped it in, shook off the excess, and then painted it onto some broad leaf, uh, broad leaf leaves. And uh, he said, that plant is now dead. That plant is now dead. Did it look dead? No. Still looked green. The symptoms of death had not yet set in. And so it was with Adam and Eve. The seeds of physical death were in their system from that time they ate that fruit. But the symptoms had not yet set in. So when Satan said to Eve, you won't die, he was telling lies. He also impugns God and God's integrity. What did he do? He said to them, you know what God's doing to you? He's holding out on you He's holding out on you from something good because God knows that in the day that you eat this fruit your eyes are going to be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. He was impugning God's integrity. He was impugning God's goodness and he did the same to Jesus. Since you are the Son of God, how come you're hungry? How can God let his Son go hungry? He was impugning God and his integrity. So what was God's purpose in Jesus' temptations? Remember, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert where for 40 days he was 
tempted by the devil. Wow. Obviously, we've got to say, the Holy Spirit had a purpose for Jesus being tempted or tested by Satan. What was it? Well, I think we can look at it from two points of view. The purpose for Jesus and the purpose for us. What was the purpose that the Holy Spirit had in mind for Jesus to be tested? I think, first of all, to keep him humble. Jesus was a man just like us, right? He had emotions. He got angry at times. He cried at a friend's uh, burial site. He got cranky. You know, when he made that whip and drove the traders out of the temple. He showed compassion. He uh, fed hungry people. He was just like us, a man. Remember, he was 100% human, but 100% God at the same time. So as a man, he needed to be kept humble. Why? Because he just had a fabulous experience, hadn't he? He'd gone down into those muddy waters of the Jordan River. He'd been baptised by John, and what happened? The heavens were open, we're told, and the Holy Spirit came down on him. And this voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. What a fantastic experience. You ever had anything like that? I haven't. It was fantastic. And those who were there were utterly amazed at what had happened. Jesus had to learn humility. And this test reinforces for us his humanity and his humanness. It establishes him as the second Adam. He was going to succeed where the first Adam had failed. God's purpose for Jesus being tested was for him to earn the right to be the one true, pure, mortal, immortal sacrifice, to pay the penalty for our sins and to satisfy God's wrath. So those were God's purposes for Jesus to be tested. But what about for us? And I think it's there, these tests on Jesus were to encourage us, to be reminded that Jesus faced what we face. And he succeeded. He triumphed. And we can know that he knows from experience, and that's very important, from experience, he knows what we face, the temptations that come our way. And so we can take confidence that because of that, he will help us. Okay, so what were the temptations that Jesus faced? The writer to the Hebrews says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. I struggled with that verse for a long, long time, until I sat down and thought about it. I thought, well, you know, I've never been asked to turn stones into bread. 
I've never been taken up on top of the spire and told to jump down. I've never been, I've never been shown all the kingdoms of the world. So how is it possible that Jesus was tempted just as we are? And then I started to think, we've got to look behind those specific tests. We've got to look behind them and work out what Jesus was tempted to do. And as we work our way through them, I think that you'll come to the same conclusion that I have, that Jesus was in fact tempted in all points, just as we are. Now what I've done is I've worked out a list of nine things that Jesus was tempted to do. Now I hope you can fill in the gaps for me that I've left out to think of things that I haven't thought of. Some of these things we've mentioned already. Jesus was tempted, first of all, to doubt God's goodness. Right? Remember that sneering voice of Satan? Since or if you are the Son of God, how come you're hungry? God has left you in the lurch. He was tempted to doubt God's ability to provide. Ha, he says, God can't even give you a piece of bread to eat. Satan tempted him to reject God's purposes when he said, Hey, mate, you don't have to go through the cross. I can make you king and lord of all nations right now. And Jesus was also tempted not to wait for God's timing. Make this bread now, Satan said. Become king now. You don't have to wait. I can give you these things now. And he was tempted also to take matters into his own hands. This is the situation. You're hungry. You have the power. Make these stones into bread. You know, they probably looked about the size of a hamburger bun, the loaves they used to eat. Take matters into your own head. You can do it, and I guess a corollary of that, or the same thing by a different uh, way of thinking of it is, he was being tempted to misuse the privileges of his position, his power and his authority. He was tempted to do it. You can do it, Satan said to him. You've got the power. You've got the authority to do it. Because what did Jesus do later on? He fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a few tiny fish. On another occasion he fed 4,000 people. So Jesus had the power, the authority to do it. When he did do it, it was appropriate. When he was tempted to do it, it would have been a misuse of his privileges and power. He was also tempted to misapply God's word. You know, up on that steeple tower, Satan was in effect saying, 
you know, you know you're going to be safe. The angels are going to look after you. Jesus said, no. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He, he was tempted, this is number eight, to reject God's way, God's teaching, and to conform to current ideas of mankind. Number nine's a bit the same. Jesus was tempted to require that God adopt mankind's ideas. You know, when, when Peter said to him, it's not going to happen, Jesus. You're God's son. You can't be... It's not possible for you to be killed. Mankind's idea was that the Messiah was going to raise Israel back up as a mighty nation. The Messiah was going to drive out the Romans. Israel would once again be the pinnacle of the nations. Jesus said, No, Peter, you've got man's ideas in mind, not God's. So nine temptations. Has anybody thought of something that I haven't? Please. It'd be nice to have a rounded off at ten, wouldn't it? Nine things. The list that I've come up with of the temptations that Jesus faced. Just recorded it for us in four little incidents. Make rocks into bread. Up on the temple. Up on the mountain being shown all the kingdoms of the world. And Peter saying, no, Lord, it's not going to happen to you. So what? You know, we've looked at temptations, Satan's modus operandi, the temptations that Jesus was given. So what? Jesus was tempted. He was tested. He was challenged by what we are challenged with. And I think that verse from Hebrews 4 does apply. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are. But Jesus overcame, didn't he? He was without sin. He didn't fail the tests he was given. He didn't fail those temptations that he was given. He withstood them. And in doing so, he has demonstrated what we should be doing in order to overcome, to stand up under the temptations or the trials or the tests that come our way. How did he do it? Well, it's easy, isn't it? You can tell me the answers. First of all, with the correct handling, interpretation or application of Scripture. You know, Satan said, make the bread. And he said, no, the scripture says man shall not live on bread alone by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He showed us that we need to know the scriptures to be able to apply them correctly. Knowing when to take a scripture and apply it in a given situation. Did you find a potential conflict in the scriptures when we read it? Jesus said, quoting from, I think it's Deuteronomy, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Okay. What does Malachi 3 say? God says, put me to the test. Right? God is talking about people robbing him, not bringing in the whole tithe into the temple. And God was having, he was cranky at these people. He says, bring in the whole tithe. Test me in this, he says, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be a room enough to hold it all. Is there a conflict there? On the one hand, it says, don't put God to the test. Malachi says, put God to the test. Is there a conflict? Come on. What do you reckon? I want to see either this or this. No, there's no conflict. Why? Because it's applying in different situations. Don't we have the same thing with our proverbs? You think of it. Sit down sometime with a list of proverbs and go through the list and you will find each time there is another proverb that counter or contradicts it. Right? Think of the proverb, many hands make light work. True? Right? We've got a big job to do, we get a lot of people in, it's easily done. What's the proverb that's opposite that? Too many cooks spoil the broth. What's the trick? in knowing when each applies, isn't it? Right? It's the same here with this scripture. It's not a trick. It comes from thinking things through. On the one hand, don't put God to the test. It applies in one situation. In another situation, putting God to the test does apply. What we've got to learn to do is be able to discern when a scripture applies and which one applies. Does it take a bit of effort? Sure does. What was something else that Jesus did? And I love this. Didn't he resist Satan? Didn't he resist Satan? Didn't he say at the end of those temptations that we read in Matthew's Gospel, Go away, Satan. And we're told, he did. Isn't that what James tells us in chapter 4, verse 7? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus has given us some great examples for us to put into practice. He is our pattern. And just a couple of other ones there for us to think about. Thinking through situations before we're confronted with them. Being so familiar with the scriptures that when things arise, we immediately bring them up. Thinking through. For instance, a young person wants to get married. You know, one of my things when, when people come to me and want to get married, the first question I ask them is, why? Why do you want to get married? 
And usually the inane answer is, oh, we love each other. Is that a good enough reason for getting married? The answer is, no. No, it's not. When, when a young person is seriously considering getting married, who should they look for? person, when I'm saying this, I'm talking about a Christian person. Who should they look for? Somebody out there? A workmate? Somebody who barracks for the same footy team? Somebody from the same political party? Now what does the scripture say? The scripture says, from within the household of God. That's where we are to find our life's partners, not from someplace else. The scripture says, from within the community of God's people. So we start to think through the issues before we're confronted with them, before we're tempted to marry somebody who is antagonistic to God, to our Lord Jesus, to the things of Christianity. Think through the issues. Uh, and we can put another one in there. To reflect on how we're doing in applying or following Jesus' example so we can do better next time. So then, a couple of questions. You're being tested now. Is being tempted or tested wrong? Is it sin? I see one right answer. Any others doing this? It's not wrong, is it? Being tempted, being tested is not sin. It is not wrong. It happens for our good. What is wrong? Doing it, yielding to it. That's right. And we should remember too that God allows us to be tested. He allows it to happen to us. So when things happen to us, what have we got to do? We've got to work hard at recognising these things for what they are. They are an opportunity for us to grow and to mature as Christian people and not to react in the way that those outside might, be, might react on instinct, just like unreasoning animals. So the next time that somebody cuts you off when you're riding down the driving down the road, are you going to fly off the handle? Or are you going to act like Jesus would? Think about it. Time for us to reflect. The test that we, we need to work hard at recognising and putting into practice the God-given way for us to bear up, to stand up under them. Okay, now there's some beautiful things here for us to remember. The tests that we face, are they unique to us? One right answer here. Why not? Because Paul reminds us 
He says, no temptation, remember, or test or trial, has ever come to you except what other people go through. So the things that happen to us are not unique. right? Other people have been through them too. And the tests that we face are not too much for us. Because in that same passage you can read it, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. The tests that we face are not too much for us because God is faithful, he tells us, and he won't let us be tempted or tested beyond our own level. In other words, he won't give us a university-type challenge when we're only at grade three level. Right? The tests that we face are appropriate for us at that particular time. And when we are given a test, God always provides a way for us to come through. Paul continues, but when you are tempted or tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Isn't that fantastic? What's the Holy Spirit's job in that? You've forgotten what one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is. John 14, 26. We're told he will bring to your remembrance what you have learned, learned from him. Okay? So one of the Holy Spirit's job is when we're facing a test, facing a temptation, is to bring to mind the scriptures we have learned, how to apply them. And what we've got to do is listen. He will provide the way out for us. And uh, as Arthur Pink says, we would confidently urge our fellow believers to plead this verse before God on sleepless nights or when on a bed of sickness as well as before going to teach a Sunday school class, asking him to bring back to your remembrance the comforting promises of his words, or when tempted, that his precepts might flash upon you. Arthur Pink's a pretty good commentator if you're looking for one. And the last beautiful thing is that we don't have to struggle through on our own. The resources of God are always available to help us at these times. As the writer of the Hebrews says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we don't ask, what won't we get? God's help. Simple as that. If we don't get God's help, whose fault is it? Ours. Ours. So God has given us a fabulous thing today to think about Jesus, how he was tested, how he overcame those temptations. He is our pattern for living an effective Christian life. And so the challenge for us is to learn from him and to do as he did 
when we're confronted with life's tests. May we always do these things for his honour and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we've been able to reflect upon him a bit today. We thank you that he was tested, that he was tempted in every way that we are, that yet he didn't succumb. He prevailed. And he's given us a pattern for how to do that too in our lives when we're tested, when we're tempted. May your Holy Spirit always remind us of the scriptures we have learned and how we should apply them. Keep on working in us that we might truly prove to be your sons and your daughters. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.